Welcome, and thanks for listening to this message from City Bridge Community Church. Our heart at City Bridge is to call all people to be fully devoted followers of Christ. To learn more about City Bridge and how you can take your next faithful step with Jesus, check us out online at citybridgechurch.org. Now, here's the message. Welcome. If we've never met, I'm Rob Berry, and I'm going to share something very shallow with you this morning about myself. I'm going to be vulnerable. I love magnets. Does anybody else here like love magnets? And it's not just a love for magnets for me. There's kind of a childlike fascination about magnets. I was watching this show yesterday that was how do you build something? And I remember there was this scene where the crane had a magnet on it and went into the scrap pile and just locked onto some metal and pulled it up. And there's like this inner kid in me when that kind of stuff happens, that's like, yes, yes, that's awesome. I don't have a magnet collection, I'm not that guy. But I, I look, my kids have magnet tiles, I just think magnets are cool. And thankfully I've got four kids, we got a lot of magnet tiles that like, you know, we can build stuff with. But the, the thing about magnets, I think I understand the science behind all that, polarity, all that stuff. But what's cool about magnets is a couple things, besides they pick up stuff is they've got to be close enough together in order for something to happen. And another thing has to happen. They have to be facing the right way in order for them to pull together. Because we've all like flipped the magnet around where you push it close and that thing just keeps moving apart. This morning, I want to talk about how we can be a community of people that is close enough to each other, but also facing the right direction. Because maybe you've noticed this since last March, since the world got a click to the right crazier. Here's what I've seen in my role here on staff, and that is, it's kind of like magnets aren't neutral. And, and families have not been neutral since last March. It, it's like because of all the craziness Families have either moved together like magnets or they have been pushed further apart. And you may have heard things like this coming out of husbands, wives, or wives where we have never been closer. It's been great. We, we like eat every meal together. He's home. She's home. It has been great. And then for some of you know that that has not been your experience. I remember walking out of my house into my neighborhood and a husband walked out the front door and he goes, man, I can't do this anymore. And what he meant was, I've been cooped up in this house with her, like, and I can't get out and I can't do this with her. And he didn't mean like he was gonna go file. He just meant, I'm going crazy right now. And we know that it's not just the family that has been affected since last March. We know that a lot of our community groups have either done this or they've done this. They haven't been neutral since last March. And groups have either figured it out over Zoom, I can't do another Zoom call, I'm not that mature, or they've showed up at a park and sat seven feet apart from each other with masks on. They have figured it out or they have moved apart from each other. Our community groups have not been neutral. 
And I wanna talk this morning about how do we strengthen community? It's our middle name, City Bridge Community Church. And so we do life together corporately, not just on Sunday, but as we gather all throughout the week for a women's Bible study or some, whatever that is, men's Bible study. We do community all throughout the week together. But we also do, if you're new here, we do community groups, we do community and community groups, which is essentially where you invite three to nine people into your life where you just say, hey, I need you to help hold me accountable so that I can walk deeply with Jesus. So we do community in a larger way and we do community here in a smaller way called community groups. So the passage we're gonna look at today is how do we strengthen our community, large community and smaller communities? And we're gonna do it by going to 1 Peter chapter five. So if you've got your Bibles with you, Open to 1 Peter, it's right after Heber and James, the Peters show up right at the tail end of your New Testament. And as you flip there, where we are going today is there's really three ways that Peter is encouraging us, the Lord is encouraging us to strengthen our community. It's through a relationship, it's through defining reality, and last but not least, it is through resisting together. Okay, so we're gonna unpack those. Let's jump into 1 Peter And here's what he says, starting in verse six. As we read this, I want you to think about what are the verbs here? What are the whys behind the verbs? And when you read these verbs, I want you to think about these are all plural verbs, not singular. So he is talking to the community of Christ followers here like this morning. Here we go. Humble yourselves. Therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time, he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. All right, let's start by just defining that first word, humble yourselves. I don't know what you think about when you think about the word humility or humble yourselves. I, the wrong word picture pops into my mind, first click. Because I go to like Winnie the Pooh and Christopher Robin, things I grew up with on a kid, as a kid, and I think about humility in the terms of Eeyore, who all he does is shrug his, the like, you know, what is he, a mule or whatever? He shrugs his shoulder and like, poor me, life is horrible. That is not humility. That's called a pity party. Humility is our perspective. It is, um, it's been defined as, it's not thinking less of yourself. It's thinking about yourself less. So when we see Humility being modeled in the New Testament. Think Jesus, he humbled himself. He, Jesus was not insecure. Jesus was not throwing a pity party. Humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him. And so when we think about the word humility, where Peter wants to start here is, is God in the center of your universe? Or are you in the center of your universe? 
Think about Jesus, right? Was Jesus in the center of his universe? No, not my will, but your will. Jesus was not insecure. He had God the Father in the right place of his universe. And so where Peter wants to start is with this phrase of, hey, we need to reorient things where we're taking ourselves out of the center of our universe and we are replacing it with somebody else, a person. God. God. So let's jump into the why. Or let's jump into the how. How do we humble ourselves? How do we humble ourselves? Well, he look, look at what he says here. Casting your anxieties on him. Anybody been anxious in here? Now, let me tell you, the, the worst, like my least favorite thing in life is laying in bed, not being able to go to sleep because I'm anxious about something. I'm worried about something. That's, I mean, like nothing is worse than losing sleep. Nothing. So what has that been for you this week that has either kept you up at night, that your wheels are turning, that hamster is running, and this is the issue? And look what he says. He wants to define humility by, by telling us to do something. He wants us to throw that anxiety, to throw that worry on a person. He wants us to chunk it on the person of Jesus and the Father and the Spirit. He wants us to do something with that anxiety. And there's a reason. We do that with a relationship. He wants you to take your anxiety and worry and put it on a relationship, right? You are close enough to me for me to heap this on you. Therefore, I'm gonna throw my anxiety and worry on you as a person. And I always like to go, well, why? Why does he tell me to throw my anxiety on a person? And the only place I can end up with is because God's the only one, right? We can work the system. We can manipulate things. We can go get our hustle on out there. But at the end of the day, we know that God is the one that he can, can either change our circumstances or he can change us in the midst of our circumstances. He's the only one that can do that. We cannot change ourselves. There's not enough self-help books to do that. Christ in us, he is the one that can change us in the midst of our circumstances. That's why he wants us to heap our anxiety and our worry on him, a person, a relationship that we have with somebody. I love thinking about Peter all throughout, like as he's writing and like, okay, where did he hear this? Right? Remember, he's with Jesus for three years of his life. And, and he's just telling his people here, Peter, to do what Jesus told him. Right? Do not worry about your life, what you'll eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Right? Look at the birds of the air. They don't sow or reap or sow away in barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Yes. And the rubber meets the road for me, Rob Barry, with anxiety and worry. I just go, I can say this all day long, but do I believe it enough where I'm willing to throw my anxiety on a person and rest? 
saying it and doing it are two different things. And God wants us to rest in the person of Jesus as we heap it on somebody. And then he defines the why. So that's the how. We throw something on a person, a relationship, and the why is because he cares for us. And when I worry and have anxiety, at the end of the day, what I'm really seeing is, God, you're not going to take care of this. You are not going to work this out. I've got to go figure it out. I've got to go work the system. I've got to go grind, right? I've got to get in there and just figure it out. And God loves you enough to want where he is saying rest in a person that will take your anxiety and your worry. It's a shocking concept. It's really hard for us to live, live out. For a Gentile reading this, it would have been shocking. Because in Peter's day, the Gentile gods are trying to manipulate you, get something from you. It's like the world, right? Everybody wants something. It's like the gods, the Gentile gods. There's no mindset for these gods that care about us And Peter is trying to redirect and reorient us to go. There is a God that cares about you and he wants to be in the center of your universe where you throw things that are keeping you up at night. The question is, are we gonna do it? And one of my favorite places to just remind people of this truth is in restaurants. You know, when you go in and you sit down and if maybe you've seen me do this or I've watched you do it and I model after you, but sometimes waiters or waitresses, and look, this goes for all of us, right? But I see it more here where you can just look at somebody and just go, they look like they have lived a hard life. Scripture says the way of the treacherous is hard. And sometimes you could just see it behind people's eyes. And this concept that he cares for us is something that I just like to remind people of. And I, sometimes, like, I'll even grab their arm sometimes. Maybe that's inappropriate, I don't know. And I'll just look them in the eyes and say, hey, God has not forgotten about you. And they're kind of taken back and I go, hey, no, no, I, I want to tell you, God has not forgotten about you and he loves you. And it's like, you can just see the wheel turn and go, what? Friends, he cares about us, you. He didn't want you to lose sleep. He wants you to heap anxiety and worry on a person. And remember where I started, this is something we do. It's something we've got to individually do so that we can corporately do that together. That's how we strengthen community is by a relationship. We know this is true. I read John 15 this morning where it just talks about if I'm not abiding with Jesus, I'm gonna produce nothing, like no fruit. How can I strengthen? How can we be strengthened if I've got nothing to give you? It starts with us, but it's something we do corporately is how we strengthen ourselves. All right, that's the first thing Peter wants us to see here. Now let's look at the second thing. So we strengthen through a relationship and we strengthen through understanding reality. 
Let's read this verse slow. Look at what it says. Resist him, firm in your faith, knowing, I'm sorry, that's the wrong verse. Let's back up. Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around looking for someone to devour. I don't know how that verse sits with you. Let me tell you how it sits with me. Like, I, I believe this is the word of God. It's inerrant. It's totally truthful. And I read a verse like that, and I'm like, really? Like, is that really true? Because if that's really true, man, I should probably change some things in my life. Look at where he starts. Be sober-minded. Be watchful. Before we start talking about the lion that's seeking to devour you, let's start with the, where he starts. Be sober-minded, be watchful. When I think about those two words, I, and the word that Kyle used last week that we read in Isaiah, behold, I think about, this is the word picture that comes to my mind. It's kind of, and maybe this, I'm just an imperfect parent, so maybe I'm the one that's having these conversations all the time with my kids, where I'm like having to grab their shoulders and look them in the eyes and say, no, look at me, look at me. Look me in the eyeball. You're not looking at me in the eyeballs. Look at me. Anybody else, any other parent, or am I on that journey by myself? Okay. Oh, it's like, I don't know if this is just an imparent thing or what, but he's like, Peter is grabbing us by the shoulders and going, look at me in the eyeballs. I am telling you, this matters. And what I love about Peter here is this homeboy has got moral authority, right? He, he's paid the dumb tax. Remember, Peter's the one in the upper room where they're eating, where Jesus looks at Peter and goes, hey, Satan has asked to sift you like wheat, but I have prayed for you. I mean, I don't know what sifting wheat, that, that sounds intense. And Peter's like, I'm good. Show up in the Garden of Gethsemane, right? Where it's about to get crazy town. And what does Jesus tell his disciples? Hey, stay awake. Stay awake. And Peter's like, hey, I fell asleep and it did not work out well for me. So when, when Peter's riding into the church, it's almost like everything I'm telling you, I did not do and it did not go well for me. The way of the treacherous is hard. I wanna save you from pain. So listen up, look at me in the eyeballs is what Peter's saying. It's kind of where he, and then he goes to the lion, right? Which is right after something else he said in chapter two. In chapter two, verse 11, you may want to put this next to your first Peter five, like right in the little column there. He just says, look, abstain from sinful desires because they wage war in your soul. So Peter's already told this same group of people, there's a war going on inside of you. But guess what? That's not what we're talking about this morning. We're talking about something that is going on on the outside of you, a lion seeking to devour you. And we've all watched enough National Geographic, right? Like, 
um, lions eat things. If you, you know, are familiar with the Old Testament, whenever a lion shows up in the scene, it's like lunch. Somebody is getting eaten or devoured in your Old Testament when a lion shows up. There's only one good lion in scripture. It's the lion of Judah who's gonna show up and make all things right. But every other lion in the scriptures ends with like lunch, essentially. Someone's getting eaten. And what we know through watching, you know, documentaries on the safari and blah, 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 about lions is they never run into the middle of the herd, into the middle of the pack. They don't do that. That's how they get trampled and die. What do they do? They chase the herd and they wait for somebody to peel off. They wait till somebody gets isolated and they go after the isolated one. That is who lunches. And Peter loves us enough and the Lord loves us enough to be like, don't be the one who's isolated. But where I stop here is just going like, is this really true? I, it makes me go like, is what he's saying here, like there's a lion outside your living room? Yes, I think that's what he's saying. And like, how would I live differently if I lived like this was true? It, it would change things. And I think for me, where I, where I try to land with this verse is like, okay, does that mean, like, here's some of the guys in my community group, like, does that mean there's a lion that wants to devour, devour Mike and Adam and Brad? Yes. Oh, my gosh. How should I be living with those men in response to that? I don't know, but it should probably look different than the way I'm living with those guys. And guess what? That lion wants to devour me. So how should I be living in accountable relationships with those guys? It should look different. And I hope, I hope it, it, that is sobering to me. If that is reality, that should make me live different in relationships. I think the craziest thing that I've seen, you know, over the years of helping people in community is you can be a member here serving, like connected to a team here. You can be in a community group here for years that meets every single week and be isolated. Because you're face, you may be close to people, but you're facing the wrong way and you're isolated. There's been study after study done about pastors that have moral failures. Dallas Seminary did one a couple years ago, and you can just Google it, right? And you will find there's two or three things that are just characteristic for every moral failure with a pastor, or maybe like 99.9% of. And the two things that stand out are always they were isolated. They were with people all the time, but nobody knew what's keeping them up at night. Nobody knew where, what kind of anxiety they were throwing on people. Nobody knew the inside, even though they are with people all day long. They're isolated. And number two, they always thought, it'll never happen to me. And I'm telling you, 
what is true of pastors is true of you. We are a kingdom of priests. We are all pastors. One of my closest friends, kind of my mentor at the at Watermark Dallas. I was going to say the Dallas campus, but it's Watermark now. It's this guy named Robbie. And, um, you know, we've been doing this for 13 years together, helping community groups. And over those 13 years, we have watched a handful of staff members, male and female, have epic moral failures. Affairs, um, lying, I mean, just you name it, right? And every time that happens, I go find this guy. And Robbie and I stand about a foot apart. (laughs) We look at each other in the eyes. And you know what we don't say? Man, I can't believe that happened to him. Man, can you believe? That is not what we say. We look each (laughs) each other in the eyes and we say, I'm next. I'm next. Apart from the grace of God and using God's provision of people, I am next, and so are you. We strengthen our community and our groups by a relationship. We do it by having an understanding of reality And if we are individually doing those two things, it allows us to corporately do the third thing, which is that we can resist together. We can resist together. Look at what he says in verse nine. Resist him, that's a plural verb, firm in your faith, knowing the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. There's a togetherness here that is your provision, that is Rob Berry's provision. Let me back up, okay? I wanna go reread this and I'm gonna stop with every single plural verb here, okay? Humble yourselves, plural. Therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time, he may exalt you, plural. Casting all your, plural, anxieties on him because he cares for you, plural. Plural, be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a loring lion seeking someone. Guess what that is? That is singular. It is the only singular word that shows up here in this entire passage. To devour, resist him, plural. Something we do together, firm your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. There is something we do individually and we do corporately. And when we do those things, we get to corporately fight. We get to fight as a unit and not an individual. You will lose if you're fighting as an individual. It's a concept that shows up all throughout the New Testament. So if you wanna write some of these verses next to this passage, James 4, 7, resist. That's a plural. You guys, right? As a Texan, y'all. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Ephesians 6, 
y'all, stand against the schemes of the devil. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that y'all may be able to withstand on an evil day. When we're working on a relationship with the Lord, when we are defining reality correctly together and individually, we can corporately resist and make war. So let me tell you what this has looked like for me um, over the last, I don't know, several months. What, what am I sharing with guys in my community group so that I am not isolated, my magnet is facing the right way, I'm in close proximity in a way where we can move together and wage war together? Where there's some like easy stuff I'm sharing every, every single week. I don't know what's been going on in my world. Some of you know, like I've had horrible sleep since last March or April, and it's not because of anxiety. Something's just not right up here. And you're like, well, okay, that makes sense, okay? You know, sleep apnea, I've had more wires hooked up to me doing sleep studies than you can imagine. Maybe you can if you've done one of those. And we're still trying to figure it out. But every single week that I'm with my guys, I'm kind of giving them a report. Hey, here's my reality with sleep. And here's everything that I can control with that as far as what goes in my body or light or whatever. And here's what I can't control. And, you know, I have stopped in the midst of the Lord changing me in the midst of circumstances of sleep not changing. He's just made me be no longer bitter at the sleep I'm not getting and the thankful for the sleep I am getting, which is not enough. But every single time I'm with those guys, they get an update there. And they're asking me about it. They're praying about it. And my motto is kind of shifted towards, okay, if you got a medical problem, let's draw blood and pray, you know? And I don't know which path it'll be, but let's go. But that's kind of the stuff, like what is my physical reality? That is what I'm sharing with those guys. So I'm not an isolated, but I am in the middle of the pack. My magnet is facing the right way. The second thing, which is harder to share, is what's going on on the inside, outside of neurology. What, what are those anxious thoughts? What is, where my, where's my thought life going? And some of you know, I had like COVID back in September. And thankfully, by God's grace, my symptoms were mild, you know, just felt like the flu. And um, it wasn't the body aches or the slight fever or the night sweats that was bad. What was bad was being locked in your room for 10 days. And we joke about it now, like my door would literally open like a foot and a plate would come in and sit down and then close. And then an hour later, my door would open about a foot. They'd come get the plate and... And I was isolated from my family. And that's good, like, you know, catch it up on Survivor or whatever episodes. Like, that's all fun. But, but about day six or seven, I got to a really bad place. And um, I remember texting Kyle and some of the guys just going like, man, I am being bombarded with lies right now. Lies like, you don't really love Jesus. It's just a facade. You don't care about internal godliness. You're just like all about external conform. Just lie after lie after lie after lie. I, I just like, it just felt like I was living there. And if I had to just summarize those last three days of being isolated in a room, what would my headline be? My headline would be, 
my heart feels like it's growing cold towards Jesus. Okay, so what are you gonna do with that? You are isolated, not just physically, but nobody knows that. What are you gonna do with that? And I remember it was, it was time for us to gather as a men's group thinking like, I can't share that. Let me, let me ask you if you've thought the way I thought. You can't share that, right? You can share anything, but don't share that your heart's grown cold towards Jesus. Hey, bro, you're like on staff. You're like in the elder process. You cannot tell people you feel like you're grown cold towards Jesus. You can't. This is the lie I started to believe after that, which is, hey, bro, this is like a three-day season. You'll just hold on to that for a little bit. Okay, go to guys group, report in, and then if it's still not better in a week from now, then let them know. Anybody believe that before? It'll never happen again. I'll, I'll never believe that again, right? Tomorrow will be better. That's all the lies going around in my head. And um, I remember showing up to our guys time and just saying, guys, it feels weird to even say this, but I feel like my it's been bad, I've been texting you, but I feel like I'm growing cold towards Jesus. And they didn't respond with, bro, you're in the elder process. Bro, you're on staff. Bro, you're a community director. Bro, you're blah, 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 blah. That's not how they responded. They responded with, thank you, man. And they went to war. They joined me in resisting and went to war and here's what, I'm not trying to sell snake oil. I'm just telling you, when I shared that with those guys, like 24 to 48 hours later, I was different. It was like, let's go, Jesus, let's go. Because I wasn't waging war by myself. That's a losing battle. I turned my magnet the right way, and I let people in on reality of my world what I was already throwing on Jesus, I was now throwing on a other people and they went to war for me. We talk all the time about this being a safe place. And um, we need to start responding the way those four guys responded. Because what it means to really move out of isolation into the pack is confession, authenticity, transparency. This is reality with Rob Barry. That's why James says, you'll be healed by it. It is part of the ointment of healing when we let people in on our reality. And we've got to be a safe place because here's the reality in most churches is that the person that confesses sin, they're like a weirdo. They're like the one guy that's like, oh my gosh, I can't believe he did that. Can you believe he did that? Wow, let me pray for you. No, no. Look, confession, you should not be the exception. You should be the rule. And whenever someone confesses sin in your group, we need to be the safest place in the world and we need to view them not as a weirdo outlier, but hey, you wanna look at a guy or a gal modeling full devotion to Jesus? Look at them. 
It's scary to confess sin. But the Spirit's prompting them to do that. I know it's scary, and the fact that they did it, man, that shows me how much you love Jesus and how much you love us. Thank you for allowing us to participate in that. This, the church, should be the safest place in the world to move out of isolation and into corporate resisting. That's why we talk about a safe place. People that confess sin are modeling that they're fully devoted to Christ when they do it. And I just, I think I just want to end talking about like, we don't need to fear. Look, 1 Peter 5.8 is not so you respond in fear. He doesn't want you like looking around every corner and be like, oh my gosh, is it safe? No, it's not safe. But greater that's of he who's in you than is in the world, right? The imperfect people we're doing community with have Christ in them, the hope of glory, Don't respond with fear. Be sober-minded. Think straight so that we can respond in inviting others in to wage war and resist with us. Thanks for listening. We pray this message encourages you on your journey with Jesus. If you found this message helpful, feel free to share it with others and leave us a review. To learn about City Bridge and how you can take your next faithful step with Jesus, check us out online at citybridgechurch.org. You can also follow us on social at citybridgecc. See you next time.